All right, everybody. A good friend of mine, Drew Hiss, is joining us on the podcast today. Drew, welcome to the podcast. John, it's great to be online with you. And here's the cool thing. Drew, we met because of the podcast, didn't we? Oh, absolutely. I've been a uh, longtime listener and am today a first-time caller. <laughs> Long time listening. First time go. <laughs> Sorry, so I couldn't resist that, man. That's it's, awesome. It's just a layup. That was a good layup, like a d- good ditto head, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, when we were living in the north end of Denver, I get a call from Drew, and we actually, or actually an email, and we just started chatting. And I love hearing from people in our audience, by the way. And then he was coming up to visit his son who was going to CU Boulder, and we decided we all went to Saturday night church together because his son went to the same church as our family did. And then we all went out to dinner together. I still remember that. Yeah. What a great time. And then uh, at the time, I mean, you've been a very successful CEO and then you had working with a Christian mastermind organization. It was a nationwide organization. And then you left to kind of, to find your own thing it was called in 2015 called Acumen. That's correct. And tell us a little bit about what is Acumen and what's behind it. Well, so Acumen is a, uh, a mastermind community, and I say that in kind of a generic sense. Uh, we exist to sharpen, inspire, and challenge business owners and CEOs who uh, run companies and really aspire not only to generate great results with their business, you know, top line, bottom line, great cash flow, great uh, service to the constituents they serve, but also really to they see how that platform can be leveraged to impact more than just a top and bottom line that uh, can be used and leveraged to impact the lives of people in a positive way for the, for the here and now, but for the greater beyond. And so we serve business owners and CEOs through really three different channels. John, you've participated in one of those channels, which is the advanced leadership workshop. Uh, we also do executive mentoring and coaching through that with the individuals that are part of the community. And then we have, I would call them advisory, uh, catalytic advisory teams uh, that uh, are mastermind in flavor. So we serve owners through a variety of different uh, contexts. Yeah, and I thought that was great. When I came in to speak, what I love, you're working with the CEOs, but uh, is it every quarter? So every quarter, what Drew does is he invites in all the key leaders or the basically the CEOs that they're working with at the mastermind level, but they all come together with their key leaders and everybody gets to meet each other, have conversations, learn some great content, talk about how to apply it, build relationship with other, you know, mid upper level managers and other companies that are all peers. But here's something I want to ask you because, you know, what, especially in the economy Today, the political landscape today, we're just hearing so much about, you know, different economic systems, socialism, capitalism, all these different isms, <laughs> right? Yeah, my head's spinning, a, right? But here's a question for you, because I think this is a core belief that we share, that we can absolutely advance the kingdom and do good through doing business. And here's what I'd like you to share is some of Everybody else out there listening, wherever they're at in kind of thinking about the spectrum of capitalism, but I truly believe it is the answer to not only create uh, security and comfort, but also as a vehicle to solve big problems that we have locally, citywide, nationally, because I think if we make the mistake of waiting for the government to do it, that problem, whatever it is that you're passionate about, 
you're not going to see it improve. And I'd love maybe your perspective on the kingdom aspect of capitalism. Well, let's say, uh, certainly I think you alluded to it, uh, waiting around for outside agencies, municipalities, governments, whatever it might be to effectuate change is really a pretty futile. I don't think history has proven that that's been successful in any culture. What makes America so great is a climate of capitalism, a climate of individualism and a place where people can engage in passionate pursuits, uh, leverage the innovation and God-given talents that they've been given to um, create new and design unique and uh, build um, you know, platforms. And uh, through that is this, for those who are, you know, um, have an eternal mindset, the business platform is one that affords an incredible amount of uh, impact opportunity. And that's really kind of part of my story as an entrepreneur is in the beginning, I would say it was very much about, you know, kind of me. I was a, it was a bootstrap startup. And in my own life, it was a battle for survival. You're in the marketplace. There's no grace. The market is a, a dog eat dog world. And as we began to get some headway and some momentum in our business and make our way through uh, some of the fail points uh, really started to discover how powerful the business engine can be to uh, impact community, to impact people's lives. And, and of course, in my case, because I've so much of that journey was a byproduct of integrating my faith with commerce versus compartmentalizing it. My story is one of really decompartmentalizing. What, what did we, that look like, Drew? Because when you see that, I have people listening going, okay, what did that mean? Because I would like to have my faith integrated and woven in to do with business. It does feel compartmentalized. I think a lot of us, when we're driving to work on Monday, <laughs> yeah. right? Especially if we're, you know, right. let's say I'm, you know, uh, driving to my plumbing shop or a Silicon Valley software company. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't feel like I'm walking into a place that I don't think it feels wrong to many of us, but it just feels like a place where faith is either just separate. Does that make sense? Sure. Right? And I know a lot of us are like, that's not what I want, but I don't know right. how to bring the two together. So how did you accomplish that? That's a great question. I don't think I could, I don't think I could pinpoint one thing. I think it was, a, it was a process of growth. It was a process of maturity. Ultimately, I think I realized it's almost harder to compartmentalize than it is to decompartmentalize. It's sort of, I gotta, I'm going to be this guy on Sunday, but then Monday through Friday, well, I'm back to being another guy. And at some point when I let genuinely and authentically let my beliefs become how I conducted myself, affect my motives, my perspectives, how I treated people Monday through Friday, it had a dynamic impact on my leadership and how I viewed the world kind of took me out of a place of being focused on self and now focused on how my role in this thing called purpose fit together with God's uh, intended purpose for our lives. And somewhere in that is this notion of glorifying God and living a life that brings him glory. So let me ask you this, because I, I agree with you that it's a process. If you were looking, if you were following yourself around with a video camera, maybe at the very beginning <laughs> of the process, in the right. end, what do you think some of the things you were doing toward the end of that process, that you could say, you know what, that's how I knew that I had kind of decompartmentalized? Well, you know, I think one of the video captures would have been <laughs> like, 
literally daily starting my day with him in a place of quiet time carved out to listen, to pray, to learn, to read, to journal. And then I think in that is the surrender and submission to uh, his lordship in my life. And I realize the video is not going to capture that, right? But what it hopefully captured then was how I greeted the person when I filled up my car with gas and went inside and paid for a coffee, how I interacted with the people at the front door of my business when I walked in, how I engaged with the service team at our company, how I had a, you know, an effective confrontation with a key person on my leadership team who wasn't performing, maybe more of a presence of grace and truth and not just a sledgehammer. It affected how we treated our customers in a, in a situation where there was impasse and how do we create a win-win. And, you know, I think the video would have shown just a different spirit about the leadership style that I had and how it affected people. And uh, so, you know, part of my story, John, in the early days, you know, kind of going back to the entrepreneurial journey was building a company that in the beginning was a pure failure. Somehow, by the grace of God, we came through that. And that's a deeper and another story. But that's good because my first business, I absolutely flew into the rocks into a fireball. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, we're, I'm in the uh, I'm in the fireball club with you. Yeah, <laughs> and fortunately, we came out of the uh, burning embers with a positive story. I always joked that we uh, at one point in that journey that my wife and I looked at each other and said, "Okay, we're going to give this until March." And if that light at the end of the tunnel is actually the sun and not a locomotive, then we're going to keep going. Right and uh, fortunately, it was the sun coming through, and, it, and we did start to see some breakthroughs. But in the end, when we ultimately merged this successfully strong growth company with another player in our industry, uh, a couple years after we merged, I really went into a second half stage of life, semi-retired, and kind of was in this journey into a new season and uh, kind of my next, I call it. And uh, what I realized, though, when I handed off the keys to that business platform was that I'd had a tremendous opportunity to impact other people through that business platform and leadership experience. And uh, it's one of those things, it's sort of that, you know, that uh, rearview mirror impact of if I'd have known then what I know now, I would have been so much more intentional and so much more uh, proactive about how I led and how we took on the business challenges and how we grew the business. And I think that's what gave me the seed of passion to come alongside other business owners and CEOs and really begin to try to serve them in a way that a would help them, you know, navigate the choppy waters of just trying to compete in the marketplace, but also, and be encouraged and inspired. Right. But also, Hey, along the way, Oh my gosh, you've got this phenomenal platform you've built. Don't lose sight of the impact you can have on the lives of the people you're shepherding. 40 hours a week. And uh, someday you'll know the impact you had. You won't know it today. They may not tell you today, but at some point in the future, you're going to hear that. And it may be on the other side of eternity, right? Yeah, completely. Now think about this as you kind of went through, you know, had the highs and lows of business and brought your faith in business. You know what? It really becomes, I think that experience really is kind of tempered right? Like steel sharpening steel. When right. you have to come into the life of other men and women, other leaders to help them get to that level, because what it forces you to do, and this is why some people don't do it well, 
some of the things that maybe have come naturally to you and your partner, Dan Cooper, uh, Dan Cooper, who's this great guy, because it's natural. It's just this talent that you have. And there's some people that are really good at teaching other people something they're talented at and other people don't connect with it. So as you moved into working with leaders and CEOs, because out of that came this incredible book called Sharpen. And it's about really applying Proverbs and actually not only getting wisdom, but applying it in the world, in the business landscape that we live in right now for a greater impact. We started out talking about kingdom capitalism. But let me ask you a question. As you've worked with so many leaders now, so many CEOs, what have you noticed about the people that actually take their organization and are successful at attracting great people and growing the organization or other ones that you see that just kind of continually are struggling. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Is this a good question? Cause what I want to do is actually talk about your expertise in working with leaders that really led to this, but also encourage people out there that, Hey, what are some of the traits that you see that really lead to what maybe we would call success and significance? Does that sound fair? Oh, sure. Is that kind of a good lead in to then, you know, you were noticing what was really working with some people and others. And then this book is to help more people get where they want to go. That's kind of what I was thinking. I don't know if that's a good approach. Yeah. Now, Drew, you have worked with so many, I mean, probably hundreds of CEOs and leaders. And you've seen some people really, you know, grow their organization, attract great people, take their company to the next level. And other people that have tended to maybe struggle with that. What are some of the things, you know, for everybody who's out there listening right now, and we have a lot of people that are entrepreneurs, business owners, or that's a position they want to move into. What are some of the things that you've noticed about those people that have been able to achieve both success and significance? I'd love for you to kind of share what you've observed. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, it really is probably more simple than one would think. I, I think we all make things pretty complex. Uh, we take ourselves way too seriously at times. I know I'm guilty yeah, of that. But, and I think some of the common themes would be a humble and coachable spirit. You know, we talk a lot about that our community is really not for the know-it-all because it's not going to serve them well. And in the end, anyway, it's uh, the individual that's, I've seen, the ones I've seen flourish are the ones who are constant learners, have an open mind to new ideas and new perspectives they're willing to be subject to the scrutiny of others. And by that, I mean someone who is counseling or providing a perspective or a awareness of a blind spot. And then I think there's this passion, passionate uh, clarity that they have about their life, their business, their understanding of how that business fits into this much greater thing called life. And there's perspective about how that fits in with the context of balance and it's part of your life, not all of your life. And then I think there, the other thing I've seen is just this, um, what I spoke to earlier is decompartmentalizing willingness to, you know, be that genuine and authentic and vulnerable and open hearted leader, if you will, somebody that, that doesn't mean gushy, yucky stuff. It means that when people see they interact with you, they know they're experiencing the real person. There's not a veil or a mask that sort of sits out in front and, uh, you know, is always kind of filtering who they really are at the core. Man, that, I just wrote down that whole list. I'm just looking at it and here's really cool. Cause you've observed this, right? Every single one of these areas is something that we could work on and get better in. 
right? Being a little more humble, be a little more coachable, being, you know, a constant learner, open-minded. So some of these areas that you heard Drew talk about that maybe is a challenge for you, these are definitely areas that we can work in because you've seen this. And now here's what I'd like to do because we've kind of laid the foundation because some of the big decisions I've had to make, Drew, I've come right. to you for counsel. I've talked to you about some things, you know, that we're doing, how we're shaping strategy in our company. I mean, you are one of the guys I just think of who's, you know, wise, right? That just, and here's also, you also have had a lot of experiences and ups and downs, you know, that I, I don't have. And I think that's kind of the core of wisdom and that's learning through somebody else's experience. So mm-hmm. if I can learn through your experience and gets me better faster. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. But in the pace of today's world with the, I honestly think the pace of change is accelerating and it's going to continue to accelerate, which means that the decisions that we need to make are going to happen faster. So really understanding, I think our core principles, mm-hmm. uh, what a wise decision looks like, how do we accelerate business growth? How do we avoid maybe potholes or remove limitations. So I honestly think the kind of the landscape of being an effective leader, it's being compressed, which means that it's going to take some skill and some learning to do that. And you and Dan got together and you wrote this book, Sharpen. It's called Timeless Wisdom and Modern Application for a Sharper Edge in Business. And I would love for you to just share with us, you know, what is the reason that you put all this around? Because basically what you've done is taken every business situation that could come up. This is like a reference book that is phenomenal and linked it back to your own experiences as well as Proverbs. And I'd love to just kind of say, you know, where did kind of the idea to create right. such an amazing book like this even come from in the beginning? Yeah, you know, some of the seeds of this were sown Inside the context of the advisory group, one of the things that we often really try to uh, draw on as we're working through a challenge or an issue as a team, let's say, John, you brought something to the team and said, hey, I really have this difficult challenge. And uh, before a bunch of type A, you know, silverback gorillas start giving advice based out of their experience, we always ask them to say, hey, what story, scripture, verse out of the Bible that would help us? make sure that as we provide uh, counsel that we're aligning with what would make God smile, right? What would make him happy? What would please him? What would be aligned with uh, scriptural truth? And But now, now that's really important what you just said. When somebody, because we were talking about earlier, like, hey, how do we uh, decompartmentalize and integrate things? Mm-hmm. And what you made as kind of a standard procedure is when somebody comes to you with a question, even a routine business question, hey, how do right. we lay out this project management? What I just heard was you guys are coming together as a bunch of leaders saying, okay, before we answer that question, let's just at least take some time and reflect on a scripture verse. What would make God smile? Because guess what? He is in the project plan. He is in the financial statements. He is in how I deal with, like you mentioned before, an underperforming employee. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is there in everything. So I, I think that is, and it's something I've seen in your behavior, right? If you're just thinking of the Lord and where he fits into everything as you're doing it, that is, that is a powerful way to bring the kingdom into your company um, just right there. But you so bet. anyway, go on, but I just wanted well, to kind of hit pause and point that out. Yeah. And you know, so during that pit stop, if you will, into truth, we go, Hey, you know, one of the best books in the Bible to tap into clean, quick 
pearls of wisdom about conduct and behavior and motive and all those types of things is the book of Proverbs. And if you think about the author of Proverbs, it was largely King Solomon. King Solomon was viewed and revered as the wisest, the wealthiest, potentially one of the most high impact leadership influences of all of history, right? And yet King Solomon kind of sits on the shelf as this uh, old crusty 3,000 year old source of uh, biblical uh, writing in the Old Testament. And, and what we wanted to do was leverage those proverbs a little more easily. So King Solomon, in a lot of ways, is like uh, you and I and other business owners and CEOs. <laughs> he's pretty random. He's got a lot of that uh, chase shiny object syndrome. He's, <laughs> he's a bit ADD. And so when you read the book of Proverbs, it's kind of like this random you know, stream of consciousness. Of, uh, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's all over the board. And so it's very difficult to kind of pluck these verses out because it's not a, written like a concordance. So we try to take, I would call sharpen a book that takes that old crusty dusty Proverbs off the shelf. It's a part concord. It's kind of where concordance meets business owner operator manual. And we tried to create these meta themes that, uh, you know, are part of the journey of leading and running an organization, you know, things like leadership and relationships and loving people use money and use of the tongue and integrity and barriers to success. And so it's all these different themes that really kind of bring it and distill it down into a more actionable resource guide, one that you could, uh, in fact, we recently had some experiences in one of our teams using the book to really help solve a challenge that an individual had. And we were able to go right into a scripture, some scriptures and proverbs about anger and Could temper. You, would uh, you mind if uh, sharing that, what that story was? Just don't use any company yeah, or so, people names. So at, a, at a high level, there was a bit of a, an uprising within an area of the organization. And that uprising was creating a great deal of angst. And like a lot of us that run companies, our immediate reaction to that would be one of being offended and one of being kind of insulted. And, you know, how dare that uh, collective of folks, um, you know, rise up, if you will. And uh, the individual was confided that I'm kind of dealing with anger in this situation and I'm very offended by it and kind of paraphrasing, but we went to this chapter on anger and temper and, you know, right there are, you know, half a dozen, excuse me, almost a dozen proverbs on the impact of anger and how it can ultimately manifest itself as, and, uh, you know, really help really uh, prevent you from having maximum leadership impact and creating these mushroom clouds of destruction. And how do they end up? A hot tempered man stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 16.32, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Hmm. So kind of reflecting back and saying, okay, mm -hmm. here's a different approach. How did they end up handling that and what was the outcome? Well, so some of the counsel that uh, certainly this, these verses helped, you know, align and kind of create perspective around if then, if this, then this, if you act this way, this is likely what's going to happen on the other side. And so, you know, counsel from the team was much along the lines of, hey, it's natural to be offended. Of course, I would be too. And yet how you handle this is going to say so much about your leadership and so much about how uh, mm -hmm. this gets resolved. And that if you can come together with these parties and create a win-win that you can diffuse this thing immediately, your immediate reaction to want to call the lawyers and, and get into a, a very costly and draining dispute that, uh, you know, is, can be exceedingly destructive long-term. 
And what do you, now you probably know this person, if he had not reached out to you, had not read these verses, what do you think, uh, would they have approached it differently with maybe a different outcome, you think? Uh, I think certainly this could have ended poorly. Uh, I think the, you know, the first button we all want to reach for when dispute arises where you feel like you're wronged is, is what button, John? It's the legal button, right? Well, and even before that, because I know for myself, I've been in those situations where I've heard people, as it filtered up to me through my filters, my beliefs, my identity at the time, what I saw when people didn't like decisions I had made in a department that I was, you know, in a company I was leading, was that they didn't respect me. They were being disrespectful. They're showing no gratitude. I felt like here's all the things that I'd done for them, why they had the job. And so guess what I did? I walked in there hot and I didn't care who was listening and started dressing down somebody, <laughs> Yeah, you know, instead of actually having a conversation like you, I think you talked about before somebody who is, uh, allows themselves to be subject to the scrutiny of others and explore what their blind spots were in the past. I got to tell you something is I've, you know, I've like to think I've matured, <laughs> But the scrutiny of others to me was, it was toxic to me because of who I was. Mm-hmm. And if somebody pointed out a blind spot to me, but when you have a kingdom perspective, I think it changes that. If I want to do the best I possibly can because I'm in God's service, see, now I look at feedback differently. Because even if I don't agree with it, if you share something with me and I'm like, well, I just really feel that that's not true, even though it's bothering Drew, it's really not his filter. I've already processed this. I have a choice to make though, either that that feedback is relevant or it's not. And here's what I've come to the conclusion that it is absolutely relevant because it's relevant to you. If you shared that with me, this is how you're experiencing me and I should care. Now Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean I might not change something, but I got to tell you sometimes so how about this? I would love for you to share because one of the things I think. Well, I think what you, and what you just pointed out, John, I think is that even points back to another element that we talked about earlier. And that's that, uh, that humility and coachability mm-hmm. uh, at, at that time in your life didn't exist. And that is time true. that part of your spirits changed and uh, you invite that scrutiny, if you will, and blind spot awareness. I mean, there's so much good stuff in here. Like you mentioned all the different themes and there's examples and in here. And, uh, you know, here's the cool thing about this. I love how you guys wrote this because this isn't, I mean, you could read this from cover to cover or Mm -hmm. I'll guarantee you anybody out there, if you're listening, you would actually look at the table of contents and go, you know what? I want to start right there. I want to start with eight barriers to success. I have a problem with either envy or temptation or anger. I want to jump right on here. My tongue is on fire. (laughs) <laughs> and I know I say stupid things. I right. know I've done that or I have a problem with discipline, discipline for the student, discipline for the teacher. So the great thing here is I love how you've written this as just you've made it so usable and accessible to apply time-tested biblical principles in the context of real world, what's happening today in running operational companies. And when we were talking before we hit record, because I love this framework that you have. You were talking about your 10-10-10, which is part of the framework in one parts of the book. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that because I think it gives such great context in making some of the decisions that we need to make that feel really weighty in the moment. Sure. You know, and it's this mental model. So each of the chapters in the book, uh, not only are the, not only do we 
try to create this meta theme and alignment and these uh, silos of with the verses found in Proverbs so that they're easier to access on various topics. But then each of those chapters are chock full of some stories that really are real world, <laughs> real world stories of people. Uh, we've left names out so that there's, they're nameless, if you will. And, and then further, we provide some application tools, mental models, et cetera, that allow someone to take this and actually put it into practice. So the, what you were referring to, John, is a mental model 10, 10, 10, and it's a model we inserted into this particular chapter of the book, and uh, just as one that helps put perspective around decision-making. I mean, I, obviously, the CEOs and business owners were making decisions all the time. The volume of decisions made in a day is, is staggering, and so, you know, this is just a, a decisioning tool that's a kind of puts perspective around it. And Dan and I, when we were writing this book, actually kind of had to eat our own cooking. And we used this mental model to help us kind of process a decision that was going to ultimately is going to delay the release of the book. But we felt like in the next 10 weeks, 10 months and 10 years, is it really going to matter that we delayed the book four months? And when we applied that mental model, certainly over the course of 10 weeks, it felt like it hurt. But over the course of 10 months, eh, Delaying the book four months isn't going to be that big a deal. Over the course of 10 years, looking back at this, a delay of four months is going to make no difference at all. And it's going to allow us to have a product that, you know, is, it looks, feels, and reads and is an application that's varsity level, not JV. And we felt like, oh, my gosh, it's worth it's, – it's a no-brainer. It, you know, when you apply that mental model, it's a no-brainer to delay the release and do this thing right and rethink some of these particular strategies and branding and so forth. Yeah, I, you know, I love that because, you know, like even shorter term, right? Would this make a difference 10 hours? So tomorrow morning, right? 10 days, a week and a half from now, or 10 weeks, you know, basically what, two and a half months from now or whatever that math is, right? Because I can mm-hmm. say, okay, what is the best decision? And what part of the book is that in that mental model? Yeah, so it's in a section about, uh, you know, leaders lead, get on with mm-hmm. it. It's Oh, I like that leadership, right? And this uh, particular chapter is called Prudence is Sexy. And, uh, you know, talks about leaders take big swings. And I think this mental model applies to even the short-term instantaneous decision. Like oftentimes we're exposed to very tempting situations. And in that moment, you can go, is this going to make a difference in 10 years if I do this right now? And if you think about it in that context, it could be disastrous. It could be a scorched earth Hmm. implication. You know, think of a situation where you were being tempted and and you were just in the wrong spot and it had to do with a, you know, an individual of the opposite sex or something of that nature. Just, you know, in that instant, <laughs> that little 10 millisecond decision could have an unbelievable impact over the course of the next 10 months, 10 years, 10 decades. Think of the train wreck and the legacy of your family that something so instantaneous could have. Well, you know, and I'm also thinking, uh, because that's absolutely true. We've both seen that. It's tragic. But back in 1999, we were building a uh, data mining software company, Drew. And we, uh, we now employed 25 people. I was the third person hired. We'd grown the company to a million dollars a month. What we were finding was all of our best customers who were paying on time were old line manufacturing and warehousing companies. Now remember, this is in the internet craze. This was not sexy. These right. <laughs> clients were the opposite of sexy. And our CEO at the time was totally just enamored with 
being in all the Silicon Valley web-based right. companies. And so, like you're talking about this 10-10-10 framework, which was not used, we, they made the decision at the, you know, at the CEO and board level that we were not going to focus on manufacturing and all these other folks, that all the money and all the growth was over here. But none of the data supported that. That was just a, an emotional decision. And what do you think happened uh, a year and a half later? Mm. We were out of business. Every right. single one of us, once the internet bubble popped, within 90 days, I had spent three years literally working 80, 90 hours a week, and it was gone. My equity in the company was gone. My investment in the company was gone. Mm. And, you know, a framework like this just make to say, well, you know, what really makes sense? What are we really building here? What does it look like 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years from now might have led to a very different outcome of maybe a company that could have been a category leader today instead of a, a learning experience for everybody that was on the team. Right. right? Well, and there's so, even another wrinkle that we have uh, related to that 10, 10, 10 in the book. And it's a kind of call it the values multiplier. And that is, would you make that decision 10 times? a hundred times or a thousand times. So it's a 10, 100, 1000 mm. multiplier. And I think if in that case of your story, if they would have asked that question 10 times, will we do that a hundred times, a thousand times? They may have begin to second guess themselves. And um, what seemed like in that short term window, a pretty wise decision was turned out not to be such a great. Yeah. So, you know, as we kind of wrap up, how can people get in touch with you and Dan, and find the book, and get in touch with you at Acumen. Sure, you bet. Well, thank you for asking. The book, as you mentioned, is called Sharpen, and uh, you know our tagline is it's guide. It's a guidebook for business ownership and adventures in leadership. We have a book website called SharpenBook.com. Very clever name. Yes, well I like right. it. SharpenBook.com. Our uh, company's website is AcumenImpact.com. That's thanks for asking, John. Yeah, and if anybody out there is in uh, the Kansas City area, please get in touch with Drew, and you guys do stuff around the country. Uh, the book is coming out. So you just as we wrap up, uh, people have kind of been listening to this, and there's so much more we could dig into, but what is maybe just kind of a final thought to leave with everybody who's out there? Well, you know, as relates to our conversation today, John, I think it's that um, – unearthing a part of my heart that's, you know, near and dear. And that's that, that I love the world of entrepreneurism, capitalism. I've been very fortunate to have succeeded in this realm and uh, just a challenge to others that are leading and running businesses that in this daily battle, that there is a place where you have a perspective that of how you as a leader impact other people that you shepherd and lead. And it's powerful. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've talked to many pastors over the years who've said, you know, gosh, if I, uh, you know, if I weren't a pastor, I'd want to, I want to be in the position of running a company or a business because uh, I'd be with those people from the time we start on Monday until the time we end on Friday. And my leadership would have an impact on them. And uh, it would be about not only what I said, but about what I do and that consistency where there's alignment between my actions and my words and, how powerful that can be. Uh, I don't have, as a business owner who has that sort of context and perspective and value set, you don't have to be a Bible Zorro to pull it off. It's right. more about your heart, right? It's yeah. about your leadership. 
and all things rise and fall in leadership. And certainly the impact we have on eternity is a, a byproduct of our leadership. Mm, I love that. And I love how you tied in eternal leadership into how you close, Drew, because <laughs> we practiced that before you hit record, right? <laughs> but you know, it's right though. And I, you know, yeah. it reminds me of that line from Gladiator, you know, that very deep. My favorite movie, film. by the way. Just I know. Sure. I love that, right? Like uh, what we do today echoes in eternity. I mean, honestly, you don't know if you go and you make a decision on the strategic direction of a company. You say no to something when you're tempted. Mm. You treat somebody who's underperforming in a, in a way that, you know, we're not always called to be nice. Right. But we are called to be kind. Right. And it might not be kind for you to actually maybe tolerate my bad behavior, which is actually limiting me and our organization. So, you know, you coming and actually giving yep. me feedback from a place of love, humility, and encouragement. Right. And maybe sharing with me some of my blind spots. I mean, we have all these things that happen all the time. Conflict, communication. I'm glad you brought that up. Frankly, I, you know, one of my favorite tools and one of the most, by far the most impactful tool I've seen uh, leveraged in our, in our community is a tool we call Fetch. It's part of chapter 28. It's, it's about how to have these healthy conversations, these healthy confrontations where truth and grace come together mm. And, and course correct. They're, they're for high stakes conversations. And I've seen multi, multi-million dollar outcomes. Those who literally follow the eight step process and have this difficult conversation with someone. And I would tell you, that's one of the, also one of the gotchas I see most often occur with business owners is that they kick the can on these tough conversations, mm-hmm. high stakes situations where if they just jump in, and deal with it, it would go, it would help it go away and help it cure. Uh, it's when they kick the can that it doesn't cure and it becomes exceedingly costly and destructive. And when 80 to five to 90% of the problems in business are people in leadership, you need a tool to help manage and help facilitate those high stakes conversations. And the tool we have is called Fetch. Uh, if you go to our website, acumenimpact.com, there's a free ebook download and we welcome anybody to go out and grab that that might want that. It's also part of the book, of course, as, as, as one of the chapters around discipline. Yeah. And here's a thought, cause I know I've seen you encourage others to do this. It's something I do also is not only is it a tool that you need to learn and use as a leader, but you need to teach your people. Cause what I'll tell you right now is the generations, let's say 35 and under coming into the workforce, right. Have not been equipped nor given tools on actually how to have conversations, even how to give, feedback to their peers, even if it's not deemed to be, you know, critical, but there's not a comfort level with even maybe giving feedback on job Mm -hmm. performance, accountability, communication styles, things like that. And guess what? If people could actually start handling those things that are bothering them without having to get a mediator involved because they're equipped and it's a safe place to do it. It's a loving place to do it. There's so much more we could talk about, but Mm -hmm. now you're actually about you are absolutely, that is a kingdom company. That is a company that's going to impact millions because that person that was equipped there and goes and works at this company to this company, this company, I, you know, there's no way to measure it because it's so vast. I believe when you, each of us have, like you said, just to reiterate that the ability to influence those people around us in a positive way. So you guys are going to love this book. Well, that, uh, the fetch uh, yeah. word is an acronym, and it's frustration elimination through confrontations that are healthy. 
Mm. And that idea that we're eliminating frustration by having these healthy confrontations that nip things in the bud and not let them uh, fester is just powerful. And um, when we and frustration have, is one of the biggest causes of anger. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I mean, so absolutely, and lost <laughs> trust and anxiety and et cetera, et cetera. So um, powerful, powerful. Well, I'm really glad we kind of ended that way. That's something, there's a reason that God kind of put that into the conversation or somebody that needed to hear that. And that's right. And uh, whoever you are, you know, because you're like, you know what? I need that. So chapter 28, now you know where to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll send, uh, we have owners that are so committed to that process that they've trained their entire teams of hundreds of people to uh, leverage this fetch tool Mm. and uh, use it. And they, they print off wallet size cards and, and equip each person to, ha- to use those. And not only just in the company, but with their, you know, it could be with a spouse, with a kid, a child, uh, just anybody you deal with. It's just a easy, quick way to um, help have that. Uh, yeah, I had to use that just dialogue. to be, you know, talk about being a little vulnerable. I had to use that tool just this morning with my wife. Mm-hmm. And I was wrong. And I had to apologize and go to her and have a conversation. Anyway, man, sure love you, brother. Uh, Wish we had more time. We need to have you back on soon. And uh, thank you for what you do. And uh, I really, really look forward to either our next conversation or next time you're out here in Denver and I get to see in person, give you a big old bear hug. That's right, brother. Appreciate Uh, you. God bless you. And uh, Godspeed. All right. You too. See you, brother. Thanks, John.